Welcome to the Fifth Inning Podcast, where we talk about hot topics in youth baseball. I'm your host, Chris Garcella, filling the big chair of Hunter Van Sow, who's not with us uh, this morning. Um, we have a guest, uh, Austin Mayfield, who is a uh, current strength and conditioning coach uh, at St. Thomas University. Um, he played NAIA baseball and uh, was on um, was on the staff at Youngstown, as well as a couple of other uh, D1 and D2 um, colleges. I'll let him introduce himself. Austin, good to have you. Yeah, How good you doing? to be here. Thank you for having me out here, man. Good to um, yeah, so I was a strength and conditioning coach for the last about five years or so. I've worked in every single sector of it. I've worked with pro athletes and kids and D1 colleges and D2 colleges, and I'm at a D3 right now. So I've pretty much seen everything there is to see on it. And, like, personally, I've done everything as well. I've competed in powerlifting. I did a CrossFit competition. I'm prepping for a bodybuilding show right now. So I've kind of seen all the ins and outs of all that stuff. Dude, man, you make yeah. me going to go work out right now. Oh, yeah. Don't I? <laughs> what What are you up to these days? Uh, right now I'm just, I'm in prep for a bodybuilding show. So I kind of live life like a monk. Okay. Realistically, like my personal <laughs> life is quite boring. Not going to lie to you. I just kind of eat and work out and go to work. <laughs> man, dude, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah appreciate it. I'm man. jealous. Yeah, no, it's something I'm super interested in right that's now. Good. And I think it gives me a good perspective on nutrition and all that kind of good stuff. You asked me about it later. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So tell us about uh, the, the Velo, um, uh, sports performance that you do right now. Yeah. So I'm working at Velo Vault sports performance right now. So we handle youth training all the way through, I guess we would accept professional athletes. We don't have any currently. Hopefully that happens in the near future for that facility. But uh, yeah, basically the high school kids, as is right now during the season, come in as they please. It's usually like two days of hard training and hopefully they get that in. And then a potentiator if they play on a Friday. So something that just fires the nervous system up. I don't see a lot of them right now. I yeah. wish their attendance was better, but I get it. I know it's super busy for them right now. Yeah. And then a lot of it is youth training. Like we have C2 who comes in for four hours a week, and that's over 100 bodies easily. And yeah. they, all, they all train with me 11 through 14. So, And that's pretty crazy stuff. I mean, we had a 14-year-old pull down like 92 the other day. And oh, man. Pretty interesting. I, that's why I keep saying I keep posting it. I had a, an eighth grader deadlift or RDL, which is a top-down deadlift, 315 for two, which is something that my college kids don't even do. Golly. Yeah, the future's bright, that's for sure. These kids are beasts now. I know, it's exciting. (laughs) It's exciting that I'm a part of it, too. (laughs) I know, right? Well, I'm looking forward to talking about strength and conditioning and and strength training and youth baseball today. So um, without further ado, I guess let's let's kick into the first inning. And um, I guess – my biggest, my number one question to start off is: is what's been the evolution that you've seen in, in strength training in the youth space of the last, call it, fifteen years? You know, what are some of the trends you've seen, and how has it evolved? Yeah, so I started my journey probably when I was like fourteen. I'm twenty five now, so that was eleven years ago. I was following everything Eric Cressy was doing, and uh-huh. Eric Cressy is a huge name in baseball. I know that now, yeah. but he was just writing blogs at the time. He had worked at UConn. I think he was with the women's basketball team. And then some random, I don't remember the big leaguer that made him famous, but he had some big leaguer that told a friend, told a friend and they became the man. But he was all focused on like physical therapy style, corrective exercise. And he worked with pro athletes. So those are multi-million dollar bodies. I don't know if necessarily that's the same risk you take with a youth athlete who's kind of on the border who needs to take that extra risk to kind of get a result that would land them somewhere big. Yeah. So a lot of that, that I was doing was very, very basic. 
It was like a template that he took from Louis Simmons at Westside Barbell, which goes back millions of years. It's from powerlifting. It's just basic strength training, truthfully. And it was a lot of stuff geared around like moving the shoulder blade properly and all that good stuff. It was very, for lack of a better term, it was soft. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now it's more variable. Like you see a lot of like play being integrated, especially with like youth baseball yeah. and uh, like handstands and just like calisthenic stuff for shoulder arm care and yeah. training the arms like a bodybuilder, which is something that was so taboo a couple years ago. But realistically, like your main decelerator, the arms, your upper back and your bicep. So it makes sense that you would do that. Yeah. And uh, just kind of filling in the, the gaps of things that you don't do during sport. Okay. And I guess uh, to throw a curveball at you, you know, that's kind of something off topic a little bit, but, you know, I see Twitter, I see Facebook, and there's like these Twitter wars about do you do you train someone sport specific or do you just train them to be a better athlete? I guess what's your take? If you're asking me, a better athlete. Okay. Uh, in the industry, we separate track and field from every other team sport. Okay. So if you think about all the things that a team sport athlete has to do, it's very unpredictable. Like in baseball, you move side to side, forward and backward, and there's all sorts of things that you're just you're trying to prepare for, but you don't necessarily do a good job on it. Track and field, if you run 100 meters straight forward, you're pretty much prepared for what the event's going to be. Yeah. In baseball, it's not that. In football, it's not that. So the training needs to be a general means to increase force production, which like in basic terms is like, can we be bigger, faster, stronger, and expose ourselves to as much as possible yeah. so that they can endure sport? Right. And then staying away from like if we're swinging a, you know, a thirty ounce bat over and over and over and over again in the same plane, like we're not going to do that in training. That's a that's a waste of training. Yeah, right? right. So that's how I would view it. Like track and field, if you know you're going to run hundred meters, like we can just take that and work backwards from it and plan out when we need to run our best hundred meters, and it's easy to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess so. So moving on to second inning, uh, we see I've seen it at the at the college level. I mean, these guys are absolute beasts now. Oh, yeah, like absolute beasts. Much much more important seems like it's placed on on training and nutrition. Um, as an example, uh, I was talking to uh, Coach Schlossnagel at A and M, and he's uh, in his opinion, he says his strength guy, um, Coach Mack sees his players more on a daily basis and a weekly basis than any of his coaches combined, right? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, they even test their hydration levels, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, on a weekly basis maybe or daily, I don't know. Um, so can you talk about your philosophy routine when working with those higher-level kids? Yeah, so I guess I'm in a unique case right now where it's D3, so it's super low budget. And, uh -huh. like, our, like, we have a five-rack weight room that's pretty much garbage that I work with. You know, we got 60-something kids on the roster at St. Thomas, so it's three giant groups. A little bit different than A&M. A little yeah. bit different than A&M, yeah. yeah. But I have been in the Division One setting before, yeah. and I, I, I am familiar with it. Um, it's more so just... I mean, philosophy in regards to what would you say? I'd say philosophy in terms of how do you you get it. You get a team, whether it's a team, whether it's C two now that comes in, or whether it's St. Thomas, and just kind of how do you adapt? How do you use analytics that are now and technology and all that stuff to build a program for somebody? Sure. Um, yeah, in, in college, when you have the GPS data and you have the hydration data and all that stuff, you can. That's sort of more so they're hiring sports science staffs to kind of handle a lot of that load and then yeah. it's like a team event to try to bring it to to the coaching staff what i've noticed is it's very difficult for us as people who are nerds in anatomy and physiology to explain to a baseball coach or a softball coach why that's important yeah 
Um, because at the end of the day, this is the problem we run into as training conditioning coaches is like you get a super uh, angry coach is going to run polls with his team, regardless of if it's in the plan or if it fits oh, the yeah. GPS data, they don't care. That's yeah. what we've learned. So you can write the perfect plan, but if the perfect plan is not going to be executed, then you're going back and scratching your head. So we've been more reactive as of late and like trying to accomplish things that necessarily wouldn't drive fatigue like crazy. Yeah. So you're not just making kids tired because baseball, I mean, it happens no matter matter where I'm at and this the coaches who love you and listen to you the most are still going to run their kids yeah and they're still going to punish them for stuff and that is a part of competition yeah at first it used to drive me insane that that would happen because it's like messing with your baby yeah but at the end of the day like you know it's going to happen and you have to be reactive to it it is nice I mean you can put pretty much a perfect conditioning plan together you can time sprints and figure out like okay what day are we going to be the most ready to go but it gets interfered with with practice too much, and there's so much variety in that. So yeah, and then what? So like take take the off season for example. To me, you know, as a as a novice, obviously I played baseball, but not in the I wasn't in, I'm not in the strength conditioning area. But right. off season is the place to get to get stronger to get going into season to me to build your arm up a little bit, you know, to increase velocity, increase strength. Uh, how do you put together a plan in the off season to do that? Is that your philosophy, I guess? And the off season is very easy, especially, uh, you know, like D3, they get 15 days on the field. Yeah. So I am the head coach in the fall and it's nice. I get like my four days in the weight room and we can do basically whatever I want. I, I structure it. It's upper lower. One day is focused on just like max output and getting them strong. And the other day is focused on, you know, building volume and building muscle and just the things that coaches want, like keep passing the eye test and uh, kind of like those big buckets like that that covers everything in the grand scheme of things but that's kind of the general structure of it yeah um i really 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 like that time of year because as a strength coach like we get most of the energy most of the effort the in season though i would argue versus the off season is the longest uninterrupted training cycle of the year especially for college like you're going to be on campus for the longest period of time that you are the entire year in the off season, you run into Thanksgiving and Christmas and there's a bunch of big breaks mixed in there. The spring is not that way. You don't yeah. get that. So you get these kids and they're in season. So like, even if there is a holiday in college, like you're not going yeah. anywhere, you're going to be there and you're going to be practicing. So yeah. you get those kids for so long. So the in season arguably is way more important because you can see them every single day. There's no interruptions to it. So like, just being strategic about how you can kind of get off-season adaptations and small little chunks during the season to where it's not influencing poor performance. Yeah. Uh, that's honestly way more important to me because, you know, it sucks because the kids are tired and don't want to be there and you're kind of battling emotion and yeah. all the stuff that happens with wins and losses and all that yeah. garbage. But it's in my opinion, it's way more important than the off-season for okay. sure. And then, I mean, I'm sure you, you're having to talk with the coaches about managing workloads, like especially with pitchers maybe or, you yeah, know. For sure. Yeah. It's uh, and again, like I've learned over the years, um, everybody kind of carries an ego with them, regardless of who you are, even if they're again, like the kindest people have an ego on them. They want, they know that their plan is the best plan. And I think that's how it should be yeah. at the end of the day. Like I want people like that to work with because you're going to get a good product out of them. But yeah, it's more so like getting them there on their own. Yeah. That's how I would describe it. Like influencing the idea, but making sure that they're coming to it and you're not telling them like, Hey, we should do this with this person. It's their idea. Yeah. If you make it their idea, then it works. (laughs) Absolutely. So yeah, that's part of any, any, any role or any job, right? You got to make sure that you're, you're doing that. So, um, I guess segue into the third inning, right? How does, how does that philosophy change when working with youth? Right. So we just talked about, you know, D three, D two, D one, and, 
having money or not having money in terms of putting right. it in the program, but you're, you're, you're working with youth right now, 11 to 14. How does that, how does that change? And how do you program those kids now? So that they're, they're awesome. They're awesome to work with. Um, the ones who want to be there, the ones who are mature enough to understand like what they're doing are a joy to be with. Um, the, the real change comes in that they're learning everything for the first time. Yeah. But that's a good thing in the grand scheme of things because they're going to adapt to anything you throw at them. I like to talk about like the 14 to 16 age bracket is the kids who can look at weights and get stronger. Yeah. Um, we do the most basic movements. Like I run like a 30 second clock on most exercises that we do and they just pattern it and they get better at it every single week. And you can put weight on for months and months and months on end every single week. And just those general, those general strength adaptations for them, like when it's happening for the first time, they get the biggest bang for their buck. It's something like the first eight or nine months of your training, you get the largest return of it. And then from there it's, you're scratching and clawing for tiny little gains, right? It's like getting there at first. And same thing with velo. I would like to say too, like the first time you start training for something like that, you get a huge jump right away. That's, so rewarding and the kids who like latch on to that and really like that continue to take that super far the ones who hit a wall which we all hit a wall inevitably and then don't continue to train through that the boring monotonous parts of it are the ones who end up falling off and getting out of the game in general yeah i mean baseball no offense i played it it's boring at at times it is boring it's Uh, a long it's a long boring game uh even if you know exactly what's going on and the training is that way too um a lot of it, I mean, the college practices are like three, four hours of just fundamental, just ground ball stuff, yeah. BP, IO, and then a little bit of competition. That's what they all are. Right. Um, if you don't love that, it's not the game for you, but, yeah. you know, like those kind of things add up in training as well, for sure. Something about seeing yourself throw, throw 90 and then jump to 95 in a matter of, you know, four or five, six months because you're working your tail off though, right? Oh, absolutely. When you break through the wall, that's so rewarding. It's got to be. It has been for me. I mean, that's why I do what I do, but yeah. Are it's you, nice the kids that do push through that. Are you are you a driveline guy? Uh, I don't know. I don't necessarily think I'm a driveline guy. I do like the weighted balls, and I do like some of their stuff. Yep. I think uh, all the motion capture stuff that they're bringing to the table and all the research that they're putting into baseball is a really good thing for yeah. sure. I'm not a huge systems guy though. If you'll hear that from every strength coach ever, probably. What is but, that? What does that mean? So like everybody has a system set up. Like Tread has their exact way of doing things that they market and sell. Right. Okay. Like driveline's the same way. It's like you do these couple of drills. This is how we progress them. Yeah. I like to take from everything, and then you can apply it more holistically. It's the same thing with like I don't know. I guess in baseball it'd be like teacher man, like okay. the, the uppercut swing launch angle swing stuff like for some people I, that plays it does you see it from people that do it extremely well but then there's people who absolutely hate it that are like top down hands of the ball top half of the baseball guys that's what i would compare it to okay it's like some of that like makes sense for me it's like can we stay in the zone for a really long time that's the most important thing and yeah. it looks different on everybody i don't know if you agree with that or not, i do yeah yeah that's kind of what i'm saying by that is like i like to take from different places and like things that make sense make sense and we can apply them but it's not to just live or die by driveline or tread athletics you know so how do you um i guess this is a it could be another hot topic right with the twitter wars with weighted balls throwing something heavier than five ounces you know is that impact your arm does that not impact your arm how do, what are your what's your thoughts there? i love this talk and i have this talk <laughs> with parents i feel like every day i love it um, so i brought it up 
Every time I talk to like an 11 year old's parents, it's like, does your kid ever throw, has he ever thrown a football? And they're always yeah. like, yeah, he's throwing a football. I'm like, okay, well that's more than five ounces. He's throwing a weighted ball. You should take that away from him. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to hurt himself. <laughs> but no, but it, it's not, I mean, to think that somebody arbitrarily just decided that yeah. five ounces was the weight of the ball. That is a normal ball. Like that just, that's the argument is not there at yeah. all. It's, and realistically, if you throw a ball that's heavier than five ounces, what it's going to do is it's going to slow your arm down. Yeah. And that's that's something that, you know, you have to learn to work efficiently through a good path. And I think that's a really, really valuable too, especially for a youth athlete or like learning to put a bunch of force into a ball like that. Inherently, the heavier balls are safer for kids like that because it's going to slow them down. It's when we get into like the four ounce and three ounce balls where their arms moving faster than they're able to control where people get into trouble. Yeah. How does that impact the, the, the shoulder, the elbow when you're throwing something lighter? Yeah, so when you're throwing anything in general, your shoulder dislocates. Like, it's an unnatural movement in general. So something, again, this is an exercise prescription thing, I guess, but I'd spend a lot of time with my youth athletes just hanging. And it's a really dumb argument, but it's popular in the uh, baseball world right now is that, like, monkeys have the strongest rotator cuff of any animal in the animal kingdom, and that's all they do is hang and swing all day. Yeah. Because their shoulder blade and their shoulder work together really nice. And you hear people talk about, like, why shoulder injuries happen and it's because there's a disconnect like your upper back and your shoulder blade is not working with your shoulder so like they should move together because when you throw your shoulder comes out yeah right so if your shoulder blade is working with it there's more in play that will keep it closer to you know like your rotator cuff is able to do a better job because there's stuff around it that's supporting it yeah uh, is like the basic explanation for that but realistically it's just making sure that you're doing something on the back end that's strengthening like the upper back and the bicep and all the things that are going to slow down the arm in general man goodness gracious when did yeah. you play again what years? uh 20 my last year was 2016 2016 okay yeah. i was i was in the late 90s and it's like man we did not have any of that no man i i don't even i mean like i only played a year and a half of college baseball but it's just something i trained so long for i feel like even up to that point that stuck with me for sure but yeah no it's all brand new like i said i mean eric cressy was having people lunge and dumbbell bench press and that was about it oh yeah <laughs> yeah we, we didn't do i was a pitcher so we didn't do any overhead no uh, yeah. nothing overhead it was i mean we did a lot of leg stuff but man nothing the none of the i think it's the advancement in technology right and just the awareness of yeah, how that for sure it's just understanding what's going on right yeah. like if you're an overhead athlete like you're going to spend a lot of time overhead mm-hmm. i have my kids do uh, that's my favorite thing in the world now is a handstand hold for a throwing athlete because you're having to manage that stress but it's in an environment where like you're under control like if you can't do it anymore you just go to the ground yeah it's not a big deal but if you're going to throw 90 overhead you better be able to at least like withstand maybe your body weight yeah in that position that's right. my opinion on it now yeah uh, i honestly i've had baseball athletes in the weight room overhead press just like in spite of some coaches i worked for before <laughs> i don't know it's never it's never once called i mean i like i not to you know brag or anything like that but like we don't have many injuries especially shoulders especially where i'm working right now yeah so. that's great and yeah. then what about what about core work yeah so i i'm under the the camp of you're always training your core okay it's, it's a it's a stabilizer uh people get really hot on rotation too so the rotation's a hot topic in baseball like med ball throws yeah and, all right. that. I think just the just to apply a principle to it 
and keep it broad is you have to do everything. Okay. Like if you train your hip flexor, you train your hip extensor, you train rotation. It's just making sure it's not the same thing you're doing all the time. So like if I'm in a front squat and I'm front squatting 315, like that's a load on your core that is going to make your core stable. Like you couldn't front squat 315 if you didn't have core stability. There. Yeah. Right. That's good enough for me. Like if we can do that, we're in a good place. And then on top of that, it's like, okay, you swing a, like a light bat all the time. Cool. You're rotating fast. In the weight room, maybe we throw heavy med balls. Yeah. And now we're rotating heavy, so I've covered all of my bases. Yeah. Like, if we look at that curve, it's like I got heavy rotation, light rotation, and something that's stabilized. Yeah. It's a matter of being intentional with the programming. Oh, for right? sure. And it is a headache to try and make sure that all your boxes are checked off. But yeah. it's like when, when you get it down, it keeps everybody fresh and everybody progresses really well. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. Man, that's just it's, it's fascinating to me because it's no, changed sure. so much, you know. So, um, So, I guess the fourth inning looking at the fourth inning i get this a lot and i'm sure you do as well what recommendations do you have for for youth players on how to get stronger how to get more athletic how to throw everyone wants to throw harder yeah um what is you know what's the commitment level look like on a weekly basis on a daily basis uh in your opinion so i want most structured training to hold off until kids are like 14. Okay. I'm cool with one or two days a week of people younger than that, mainly because of the attention span and like the understanding of it. Yeah. It's like anything else. Like most of them at like 11, they understand like, Oh, baseball's fun. Yeah. Like when I have a, when I go three for three and everybody's cheering me on, like that's awesome. But when you're in the weight room and you squat, you hit a squat PR at that point in your life, you're just like, I don't know what this means for me at all. But when you understand that, I think that's the time to let it rip. But uh, most parents, I mean, they probably don't like when I say this, but I usually say, like, let them be a 12-year-old. Yeah. Um, Play as many games as you possibly can. Sign them up for other sports. Like, uh, overuse injuries are the most common injuries in the sport, and we're seeing so many 12, 13-year-olds that are getting elbow surgery, and it's just, it's absolutely uncalled for. And something I've even done, this is kind of off topic, I guess, but, like, throwing was my high school kids, I'll have them throw from every arm angle now, like, as a part of the recovery throwing, because I'm just trying to give them something different to latch onto that might keep them healthier at the end of the day. So they're not doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. That's the worst thing for me is I have an 11 year old who goes and practices, you know, four days a week now and it comes to me and we're doing similar things because I know that's going to drive him further into the ground. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, we get lost and just go be athletic. Right. right. I think pick up basketball for a kid that plays competitive baseball at 12 years old is going to do more for him than a, than a back squat ever could. Yeah. Especially pre-puberty when they're not even going to get like the craziest response to it for sure. And I try to integrate as much play and gameplay as I can into my training. Just make it weird and fun. and Like we'll make them want to show up. I think that's a win for them in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Um, so yeah, so just just go play, go play, be a kid, go play something else, Absolutely. go be athletic, go play, pick up basketball. I think on that note too is what I see from the 11, 12s, 13s is like uh, that is not there from the older kids that I have now is competitions a little bit yeah. astray. Like they don't really like to compete. It's like they get teased for it. So I try, I mean, I try my hardest to make everything a competition now with them, but it seems like that age bracket as the, as the new generation start to roll through, like the younger and younger they get, the more afraid they are of competition in that kind of way. Yeah. Like everybody takes everything so personal, Yeah, which is completely opposite. I'm sure like you even more than me, I'm sure my generation twice as bad as yours is for sure. But uh, yeah. like we're used to always just like, I mean, me and my high school friends, we used to just talk crap to each other. Oh yeah. Four, seven. All day. <laughs> That's all it is. All day. So yeah. You don't see that anymore. I don't now, think. Now, they, now if they do, they get their feelings hurt 
bird or something like that. We actually had a call, uh, discussion with our 10-year-old team about, <laughs> yeah. about competition in a little bit. Yeah, competing. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's hard to it's hard to initiate it, but uh, there's a couple of things I've done where you finally get somebody to compete, and it's really beautiful. It is. Well, yeah. I think, you know, we all got to do a better job of, in practices or just in general of stressing the fact that you're going to go compete. Because when they get to – I mean, I'll never forget when I, got to, when I got to college, right, it was like, okay, I was – really good in high school and now so are all these other 35 guys that are oh, on yeah. this team. It's like, man, you better go figure out how to compete or don't and you won't be there very long, right? No, absolutely. And you you came out on the other side of that. So yeah. obviously you figured it out. So yeah. 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 I think it all comes down to that. So um well heading heading into the fifth inning and this is gone by pretty quick. Goodness gracious. Um I love it. Uh you get the last word. So what's your what's your advice for youth players and parents out there and what's I mean the importance of, of strength training once you get to fourteen and, and, and beyond? Yeah. So I think just finding the most positive way that that fits into your life is is the most important thing in general i think you know it doesn't matter necessarily who's doing it i think there's a lot of well-educated people out there now and i think even high schools are doing a better job of it but it's more so exposure and understanding for somebody who is going to spend a lot of time in athletics especially if your child plays multiple sports yeah like getting an early exposure to it is a really really good thing just so they know what's going on i think that's like the most important thing i see for my middle school kids right now is i know when they get to high school they have, have seen all this and maybe you get a coach who doesn't know what they're doing like at least your kid does know what they're doing so they can keep themselves safe and understand kind of what's going on and even if i mean just in coaching in general like you're going to see that at every level but if you have a good grip on it like then you're not the kid who's just as big timing as coach you're the kid who understands like i understand the fundamentals of this game and i understand that maybe i even have a better perception of the sport than this guy does yeah but i'm not going to step on his toes because of that like i understand he has an authority role and i can still perform well regardless of the situation and i think a true competitor is going to do that regardless like just in life in general like if you're working for a poor company like if you can with, withhold your own integrity and make sure that you're being treated fairly you're going to be in a great position for yeah. life uh, i think the same applies to, to the weight room even like just making sure that you're, you know you're having fun and you're playing and you're not stressed out about development i know so many cases of kids who turn like 17 and all of a sudden they grow six inches and yeah gain seven miles an hour like it doesn't need to happen right now no matter who tells you that if you get recruited when you're a senior in high school that's fine. If you get recruited when you're 13, uh, be careful, but that's yeah. also fine. Like, you know, you're in a good place at least, but especially in an area where it's competitive and perfect game is throwing out rankings for 10 year olds and yeah. nine year olds and eight year olds. Now, like don't get caught up in any of that. Focus yeah. on your own development. If you're a little bit better than you were yesterday, you were in a phenomenal place. Yeah. That's where it needs to be. Cause I can't stand looking at any of that anymore. I get it, but I don't, yeah. I don't like it. That's Dude, for sure. It get 1%. I do. We get 1% better today. Right. Oh, that's that's the, the the mentality. It was that growth mindset. Right. Absolutely. And I think even beyond that, like if you don't get better, let's look at the trends. Yeah. <laughs> that's another thing, especially with velo development and lifting weights is there's periods of time where you're going to make more progress than others. And it just it won't happen on your timeline. And the more at peace you are with that, the better results you're going to get at the end of the day. Yeah. I get, I got, I, I know I said that was the last word, but I had deep brought up one more thing that I want to ask you Go about. Go into it. So when, with regard to velo, I'll, I'll lean towards that since I was a pitcher, but with regard to velo, do you believe it's something that can be, can be worked and learned? Or do you think it comes, is something that's God given kind of thing when you're talking about someone that throws 95? Plus. So I, I think I'm going to open another can of worms with the God, God given thing. Um, 
after working at the division one level, what I've started to realize is that there are a lot of people who are just born to play sports Yeah, that are built to play sports. I mean, like even in track and field, like I see a couple of my, I have a kid right now who's not necessarily doing the greatest at one of these local high schools out here. And he's built like a track and field jumper. The kid runs like a super low 60 yard dash. He's got the best vertical in my gym. And I'm like, dude, you're playing the wrong sport. Yeah. Like I understand that you have all these tools, but like you're not putting it together, but you're the most athletic kid I've ever seen. Yeah. Like I, I think, and in myself, in hindsight, like I can look back and say I should have played football in college. That was like what I was good at. It's not what I wanted to do. And those are decisions that you have to make on your own and learn along the way. And it's not right or wrong. But uh, like when I got to Youngstown, like there are a lot of kids who were just lazy. And you you see them on the field, and they're the best player on the field. They don't really do a whole lot. They don't want to do a whole lot. They never had to. I mean, Bo Jackson's the perfect example. Of oh that. yeah. At Auburn, they said he used to go in the weight room and just train his neck so he could be, like, concussion preventative, and that was it. <laughs> he didn't touch weights, and he was more muscular and faster than everybody else on the field. Yeah. There are people that's, again, that's not the case for everybody. 99% of the world does need to train hard to make those improvements, and I think that's real. I really do. I think you can train some of that, but there's always going to be, you know, a 12-year-old Chinese girl who's better than you because she was born that way. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. That's just the way it is, and it, it's sad. It broke my heart as a strength coach when I got there, and you realize, like, the NBA is a huge example of it. Like, none of those guys touch weights. Even NBA strength coaches have to, like, beg their guys to come work out during the season. Oh, wow. They don't want to do it. They don't do it. I, yeah. they, they never needed to. They were always, 100% of the time, the best athlete on the yeah, court. most athletic and the tall, you know, tall and athletic and all that I, stuff. I yeah. think in base Baseball, it's a little bit more important just due to the fact that like injury rates are so crazy high right now. I think yeah. that would be the only thing I could say in that regard. Because I mean, if you're throwing 95 at 14 and you got like a six foot two, 140 pound frame, like I don't know how long you can withhold that. Yeah, that's they, the only difference. It's almost shifted from you know developing your velocity to our arm care. Yeah, right? like the velocity comes now for a lot of these kids too, especially down God, here, man. I've, so again, hard. like I said, like the 14 year olds I've seen lately, like just high 80s yeah. in the facility and i'm like that's not right they had yeah. a kid eight sitting 80 off the mound yeah like 14 you man like that and that's on the big field yeah <laughs> the kids in middle school so yeah. it's crazy where we're going to go i just i just hope you know like that the comp the lack of competitiveness and the lack of wanting to do the work on the side is like another factor i think that we have with like the increase in arm injury and Man, it's just like I'm conflicted because obviously there's very talented individuals who are going to do it regardless, but those are always the kids who are not doing it or part yeah. elsewhere. And the ones who do both are the ones who end up doing it the longest. Yeah. Well, I've talked to multiple strength or not strength coaches, but baseball coaches, D1 coaches, and their biggest thing that they tell me is like we got a lot of showcase guys, a lot of prospects, but not a lot of guys that go out there and compete on a daily basis. I expect that too. You can, yeah, I mean, you can give me your opinion on this for sure. I would love to know is like, is recruiting going to change because of that? Because we've seen, I think, especially with like the shrinking of the draft. Yeah. And it's like, there's a lot of super high nineties arms in college baseball now, but you're starting to see scores that are like football scores. Oh yeah. Like they, they can throw a fastball, but it's flat and they don't have any other pitches. Yeah. And it, it is like they're recruiting the kid who throws hard, but that's about it. I don't yeah. know. Like nobody's pitching. Yeah. I, I I actually watched an inter squad game of uh, someone that uh, the the pitcher was throwing ninety eight to one hundred and one in the inter squad, but 
they turned around nine runs on them in two innings and yeah. hit three bombs. And so I was talking to the coach afterwards. I said, man, the kid's throwing gas. He said, yeah, you see what we did to him if he doesn't throw anything else, right? Or if he doesn't hit his spots. So all that stuff matters, right? Yeah, uh, it is it's it is incredible to me how, how Velo is – like again, it's important yeah. because it's getting kids recruited to the next yeah. levels. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, like if you can't pitch, you're a flat fastball. No matter how hard it is, is going to get hammered. Or even with movement, if you can't control it and you're always in two zero counts, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you got to lay one over. and yeah. it's going to be a cookie, and somebody's going to hit it eventually. That's right. You're not going to get away with that anymore because that's what kids are seeing. I mean, even in the, the high school con- or district by where I'm coaching right now, there's a ninety mile an hour arm on every single team. Yeah. They, there's a Division One baseball player on every single team thrown against these kids every day in the high school level. So, like, I mean, they're seeing this at, like, 15, 16 years old now. I attribute to all the strength conditioning coaches out there like yourself. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I, do, I do think it's it's improved drastically from where it was for sure. I mean, yeah. I'm very happy. Again, like, another un, unasked-for advice is, like, if you're a high school baseball coach out there, Outsource, outsource, outsource for all this stuff. I think one of my biggest pet peeves is the coach who wants to big time and write their own program, but it's somebody who hasn't been a weight room in 30 years at least. And obviously, like you said, nothing's the same as it was even five years ago now. So, like, if you can, you can go on Google and you can look up college baseball strength and conditioning program and find a really good product for probably for free. Yeah. Um, if that's like, if that's what, what your means is like, it ought to work. Yeah. Just trust something and stick with it for sure. Yeah. Well, Austin, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Awesome conversation. Loved it. Very intrigued. I have uh, some of the stuff that's in your head. I probably have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, all of that, all the anatomy and stuff like that, but man, it definitely translates. And obviously I had Jackson going with you there for a little while. So, oh yeah, um, man, I appreciate it. It's good stuff. So thank you. Thank you, thank you for joining us. And, um, Appreciate uh, all y'all listening in. Make sure you like, subscribe. We're on uh, Spotify, on YouTube, and on Apple Podcasts. Um, and then tune in for episode six. We'll have Jared Bayless uh, talking about approach and uh, the middle game and pitching. So look forward to it. Thank y'all for listening. Uh-huh.